Welcome to Day 2 Cloud. Today we have a special guest, a friend of the show, Stu Miniman from Red Hat. He's the Director of Market Insights there. And if you have no idea what that title means, don't worry. We didn't either. We made sure to ask Stu what's going on with that. And we also covered a lot of ground in the world of what's going on with technology and how we as infrastructure people can provide more value than what we're doing today. What stuck out to you, Ethan? In the context of Stu working at Red Hat, we do talk about open source software quite a bit, open uh, being kind of part and parcel of what Red Hat is all about. And we get into some specific examples, how OpenShift really works and how if I'm looking at open source and thinking free, maybe open source doesn't mean free and how Red Hat interprets all that. Because of course, Ned, Red Hat is a multi-billion with a B dollar company. <laughs> right. Well, there's there's free as in beer, free as in a puppy and free as in a piano. So <laughs> you, you will see which one of those OpenShift is for you in this episode. Stu Miniman, welcome to the show. You've been on Packet Pushers uh, podcast before, but I think this is your first time on Day 2 Cloud. So why don't you introduce yourself to the fine listeners that we have out there? Thank you, Ned. Uh, great to be on. Ethan, great to be on a podcast with you again. It has been a few years uh, since you and I uh, ha have had our audio waves <laughs> recorded together. And uh, yeah, nice to see you both since obviously we're not seeing anybody in person all too often. So, hey, for the audience that doesn't know me, uh, as Ned said, my name's Stu Miniman. Uh, I currently work for Red Hat. Uh, my title's Director of Market Insights. I'm a part of the cloud uh, team there. So if you're familiar with like OpenShift, all the Kubernetes stuff, OpenStack is in the group that we do. Uh, join them uh, it, it, towards the end of 2020. Um, before that, most people know me. Uh, I was one, an analyst and host of a video program called The Cube. So I'd done thousands of interviews at all the clouds and everywhere in between. So, uh, you know, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, you know, VMware shows. And uh, yeah, Red Hat was was also a show that we covered. So uh, I, I personally done thousands of interviews, got to talk to lots of people. And uh, yeah, my role today, I um, I spend a little bit less time on video uh, and sometimes more, uh, I, I'm more of a guest than a host, but I, I, I do still leverage those talents that I had from uh, all the experience uh, on camera and, and such. Yeah, I'm curious what the path was from an analyst and an interviewer to going to work for a vendor? Because that's that's something that's crossed my mind before. And I'm curious, what was the thinking process and the path that took you from one to the other? Yeah, great, great question, Ned. It, it's funny, right? The last 10 years, like as an analyst, I have lots of people that have called me up for, hey, career path, you know, how do I get to be an analyst? You know, Ethan, I probably had some of these conversations, you know, when we'd be at show and it's like, analyst, you know, I actually, so I'm an engineer by training. Um, I, I have technical background. I actually spent most of my career on the vendor side and analyst wasn't something that was ever on my career roadmap. Uh, Dave Vellante, who's one of the founders of, uh, you know, it was Wikibonds, the analyst firm, SiliconANGLE. He's like, hey, Stu, how'd you like to talk about lots of different things, help us build community? And eventually this video thing came off. It was like, hey, that sounds really interesting and loved it, had great access to lots of, uh, you know, really amazing people in the industry. I kind of had reached a point, especially during the pandemic, that I was looking at what my options were. Um, I, I knew all the companies in the cloud. Uh, Red Hat was, you know, one that kind of stood out for me very much for the culture and the people as well as the technology, uh, which we'll spend lots of time talking about the technology in this piece. But 
Red Hat culture is kind of a, a unique thing. Uh, it, it is very collaborative in nature. Uh, it is very open in how they do things. And community is, is something at the core of what they do and how they build their products. So that was something that's attractive to me. Uh, living up here in the Northeast too, they do have a very large presence in the Boston area, which is nice. So when things open back up, uh, you know, I'll be able to go meet with customers locally. And actually that's one of the other things as an interviewer, I love talking to the practitioners. And here's the thing, as a vendor, I spend a lot of my time talking to customers, helping understand what they're doing. Uh, you know, yeah, you know, I, I talk to analysts, uh, I, I talk to press, but it's working with those customers, helping them, you know, with the challenge that they have, that that uh, that connection between, you know, IT and business is super, super important. Something I spend a lot of time looking at from the analyst side and something that hopefully I can help from, you know, the vendor, the, the vendor side. Well, be more specific then in that role on the vendor side. You just described it a bit, but uh, <laughs> I was looking at your title, Director of Market Insights. All right. Well, there's people we've dealt with that are uh, uh, an evangelist or you know, they're a technical marketing engineer. We kind of understand what those roles are. Director of Market Insights, it wasn't immediately clear to me what you exactly do at Red Hats do. So clear that up. Yeah, so it, it's interesting. Uh, uh, based on all the spam that I get from, from people trying to sell me products, uh, you know, Market insights really means that, you know, look, there's a lot of data out there. Um, as a former analyst, some of it is, you know, I, I take kind of the skill set that I had as an analyst and I bring that inside. So, you know, having been at Red Hat less than a year, that's one of the values I have internally is, hey, Stu, give us that outside view, poke at what we have, help us create it better at its core. My role is a marketing role, um, but most of what I do is more outward focused. So it's meeting with customers, whether that's in briefings, uh, whether we're having you know deep dives on, on different areas, helping them to understand you know what they need to do, the architectural decisions they need to make, and obviously with a marketing role, hopefully our solution will help in that environment. Ahead, so it, yeah. it, it feels like a bit of a product manager role, only you don't have a specific product you're responsible for. You're, you're talking to customers, figuring out what they need, looking at the portfolio within Red Hat and helping the people within Red Hat understand, look, to make this product better and meet customer needs better, this is where we should go. Is it kind of like that? So I, I'm peers with product managers, but I am not a product manager. It is it is yeah. more, you know, uh, it, 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 as I said, it is a, you know, product marketing role um, yeah. is, is where, I, where I sit uh, in the org. Um, yeah, you, you are trying to convince me to buy OpenShift or whatever. Yeah, on at, some at, level. At, right. At the end of the day, that is, you know, where I sit. And but if, you know, we'll spend lots of time really teasing apart what OpenShift is. Um, and, and what makes it up and we can go into it. But look, the the wave of modernization of your applications going to cloud environments is really important. Um, therefore, what are the what are you going how are you going to build that and what are the pieces of it? Um, and hopefully OpenShift has a play there. Um, if it does, we can help. If it doesn't, uh, there might be other pieces of the Red Hat portfolio. Obviously, there's like the automation tooling we have at the Ansible. Of course, uh, hey, wait, Red Hat does do the Linux stuff, which basically everybody does these days. So, you know, hopefully there is a place in the portfolio overall that we can help you. But yeah, Ethan, at, at the end of the day, you know, it, it, from my standpoint, if we're not eventually helping OpenShift, it's outside of my purview. Right, right. And I, I think you mentioned a really important thing a little while ago, which is you're bringing your external experience and insights 
from your world of being an analyst into Red Hat and bringing a fresh perspective that they might not have sitting inside the, the, the I won't call it a walled garden, but inside their, their carefully cultivated culture, as you will. Uh, so what are some of those top trends or uh, key insights that you've brought into Red Hat uh, that, that you found from the, the vendors and what you're hearing from the thought leaders out there? Oh boy, uh, thought leaders! You don't want to listen to them. Uh, uh, look, at, at the end of the day, you know what are the what is the what are the challenges that the customers are having? At the end of the day, what is the role of IT today? Those of us that have watched, you know, that's deep, the, big two, questions. That's deep, <laughs> so, pretty so, heavy. So, look, you know, we'll dial back to you know maybe maybe your audience or you're familiar with a guy Nicholas Carr. You know, wrote a, wrote an article in the Atlantic. Uh, you know, years ago, it was basically, you know, does IT matter? And the answer was basically, no, cloud's going to be this utility and you as IT, you don't even exist anymore. We don't need you anymore. The, the, the teasing and the understanding we have is, of course, there are things that you need to do, but there are also things, I'll tell you the advice we used to give an analyst, hey, Mr. Customer, I'm sorry to tell you, but there are some things that you suck at and you should stop doing. So, you know, many years ago, it's like, look, if you think you should go buy a building, pour concrete, build out power and cooling and have that for 20 to 30 years, you know, you're crazy. Stop it. You shouldn't be in the data center business. There's only a few companies that do that really well. That doesn't mean your current data center, you know, they last 20 to 35 years and we need to figure that out. And yes, there are reasons why some stuff will live in, you know, your environment on-premises. Um, some things will go to the cloud, some things will go to hosted environment, sorting that out. So, you know, my background's networking. So, you know, I, I know Ethan appreciates this. Everything to me is kind of stacks and interconnections. So it, it, it's always for me is like, okay, what am I good at? What is important to my business and what is differentiated? Um, I love a term that we heard from Amazon for years. And it said, you know, we need to get rid of the undifferentiated heavy lifting. When I think back early in my career, how many customers, you know, when I lived on the vendor side, it's like, uh, you know, we're going to help customers with their exchange rollout and the storage team's going to, you know, manage all this and how much do we get in everything? It's like, oh my God, you know, I remember on social uh, sometime, you know, not too long ago, it's like, you know, Office 365 had some exchange issues and the internet went all nuts and everything. But it's like, look, there shouldn't be every company having to manage and worry about their email people can take care of that. You know, I've been on G Suite for, you know, more than a decade. There's certain things that you need to manage, but most of it, I switch it over to the vendor. The move to SaaS is a big one because there's lots of things that, you know, I don't need to own the infrastructure. I, 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 I don't need to worry about it. You know, when I would go to like Cisco Live, the big discussion we had for years was as a network person, I need to now manage and operate a lot of stuff that I can't touch. So that shift from, you know, I, I touch it and I cable it to I manage it to, hey, some of it I can just consume as a service. That discussion, you know, what's important to my business, my data, uh, the things that I build to differentiate uh, what, what I'm doing and, you know, what is important for my customers and my business. And IT needs to be part of that process, can even be a driver of that process done right. Right. If, if we think about the economics of it, and this is something my dad explained to me a long time ago, he said, you know, even if you're really good at two things, if one provides high value and one provides low value, 
then you should farm out the low value thing to somebody else, even if you can do it better than they can, because you should focus on the high value thing. So, so what is the high value thing that IT practitioners can bring to the table at the business? Yeah, so that, that, that's, a, that's an awesome question, Ned. Uh, and what you need to be, have is there's that marrying between the business side of the house and the IT side of the house. IT for so long has been the group of no, or <laughs> if you were lucky, uh, I, I'll quote a friend of mine, Alan Cohen. He said, you know, you look at a triangle, it's either no or it's slow, and we need to get everybody to, you know, go. Because if you remember back, shadow IT was business has a requirement. IT won't do it. Well, I'll swipe a credit card and I'll go do it myself. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I talked to lots of companies and you say, okay, hey, how many apps do you build? And it's like, lots of companies, they bought software and they deployed it and they did that. You know, we outsourced things for years and realized that that didn't serve my business because my mess for less often wasn't any mess and any less messy. And it often ended up being more expensive over time. And if I needed to make change, you know, that's what I do. You know, we know the only constant in our industry is change. So as a business, um, yeah, what did 2020 teach us like really, really well? Hey, uh, the plans that I started with at the beginning of the year, by the time I got to the end of Q1, I had to throw them out the window and scramble really fast. So if I couldn't respond to that, you know, I'll throw out that buzzword and happy to talk about it if you want or ignore it, you know, digital transformation. If I'd done that, if I had already gone through something that I could be agile and move fast, you know, I was in a much better shape than the people that were like, uh, wait, I got to call the guy. He's got to go cable stuff. Oh, wait, we can't send him to the office. Oh, nuts. What do I do? <laughs> so, you know, cloud is not a panacea and it's not unicorns and rainbows and all that. But there is that, you know, that agility, uh, that being able to, if there's a requirement from my customers to, oh, hey, I'm, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm the corner, you know, whatever food restaurant, and I was used to people coming in and I didn't deploy a mobile app. When I switched to doing takeout, I can't handle the volume of phone calls. Uh, hopefully I can go to something like, you know, there's lots of SaaS providers that could help on-ramp me very fast. Um, mm -hmm. But it's it's challenging. I saw it just locally. I saw so many companies go through that, you know, that that churn of trying to figure out how to how to manage. And well, at the so enterprise, there was much bigger challenges. You're, you're hitting on things that are real, things that we are facing because of the pandemic and, and business transformations that have had to happen. And you said digital transformation. Those are a pair of words that you hear them often enough and begin to choke on them a little bit. <clears throat> Whoa, are we talking about this again? Okay. It does actually have some meaning though, but it but it raises a point. So you're, you're dealing with a lot of customers. You're a customer-facing human. On the vendor side and on the media side, people like uh, Ned and I, Greg Farrow, and lots of others of us that write about emerging technology, we tend to get caught up in the latest hype, the thing that's cool, the new technology, the emerging thing. Give us some examples of, uh, or just a, a, a good example of hype that gets a lot of press, is getting a lot of traction right now. But when you talk to customers, they're like, yeah, I don't need that. That's not solving a problem I have. All right. Something that gets a lot of hype. That's not getting traction yet. It, 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 it's, it's a tough question, Ethan, because, you know, I, I always look at, you know, the future is here. It's just unevenly distributed. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you know, I, I live through the failures of like big data, you know, more than 50% of big data deployments fell apart. 
there are often technologies that are misunderstood or we're not quite ready for. So, you know, I love serverless. Serverless has its great use cases. And, you know, for a bunch of years, it was like, oh, will this be a technology that takes over everything or will it be, you know, relegated to, to a corner of the world? And, you know, it's great for helping me build websites and do some cool things, but, you know, will it do real applications, you know, in air quotes for those that are just listening, um, because, <laughs> you know, real depends on what your business is. And we've seen, you know, it's been an interesting discussion. You know, I, I you know, I live in from an infrastructure, it's a container in Kubernetes world, and we're seeing the world of serverless and containers blurring, Amazon's blurring that lines. We have technologies that are blurring those lines. Um, and for a lot of companies, it's early and they're not ready for that. You know, they're still working on their, hey, most of my applications are on VMs and I'm thinking about the cloud and that probably means I need to look at containers. But that 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 diffusion of technology uh, is is where uh, I, I I am a fan of kind of the crossing the chasm. You know, are we in the bleeding edge where only you know, hey, there's a hundred companies that care about this, or are we getting to the point where you know, thousands and tens of thousands care? So that that's something that I've been thinking about too. It's not just a lot of us that are in IT want to ride that wave if we're practitioners, if we're operators, we're infrastructure builders. What's the next big thing that I gotta know and gotta learn? But as new startups come to market, as the cloud introduces different challenges, there's all these niche products that seem to, to step in to solve some little problem that someone has. Ned, you and I were in San Diego at KubeCon, I don't know, end of 2019, I guess, right? Mm -hmm. uh, BC, before COVID. Um, and... The, the, all these companies that were out there on the floor with these solving these little problems that not everybody had. If you had it, that was an interesting product. And it, it doesn't feel like there's yeah. this one big new way to do things. It feels like there's a thousand ways you might do it all depending. And it's getting much harder to navigate the technology landscape and know this is how I should direct my company. These are the technologies we can bank on. We know that this is going to work. Do you, yeah, no, making sense? really, really... Excellent point, Ethan. So, right. I go to KubeCon and you say there's hundreds of companies there and I look at half of them are features that I don't understand why there's a business case that there's a business around it. <laughs> and no offense to those people, startups are really tough and there's a lot of things to do, but you know, great technology doesn't always mean great business or reason why I, I should figure it out. Here's, I, 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 I'll, I'll be transparent here. Here's the tough transition I look at in my career and what's happening on. A lot of those technologies are coming top down from the application. If I look at something like you know, artificial intelligence, machine learning, it's not the infrastructure that is the driver for it. It's there's often very specific vertical reasons that I'm building some of these technologies infrastructure is an enabler of these technologies. You know, mm. we partner heavily with NVIDIA. Yeah. NVIDIA is doing lots of cool things that isn't just, you know, oh, hey, I can do my graphics cards and I can do Bitcoin mining, but, yeah. you know, specific things that I, I need to do in these environments. The connection between the infrastructure and the application, for a lot of my career, it was, you know, hey, as far as the network concerned, it's just you know, a pipe that stuff runs and maybe I need to worry about buffers and some of these things, but I don't care what application it is. And I lived in the storage world for, for, for many years and the same thing. It was, I cared about capacity and performance, but I didn't care about what application was running, whether that's, you know, some massive database or some other things. In today's world, 
We need to start with the application. That's what's important. That's what I'm building. That's why cloud is so friggin' complicated these days. Is mm. you know, you know, when Amazon comes out with a new feature, there this is not something that every customer on Amazon needs. It's they've got customers that are doing it. When we work at Red Hat, when we go and throw our support into a project, what we love is the great thing about open source is somebody created that technology because there was a need. And if the community swarmed to it, that means that more people wanted to participate that. So what I found in my time at Red Hat, and I knew it a little bit before I joined, but see it even more is we don't just have people being like, hey, we figured out we could make this cool thing. Let's see if we can sell it. It's <laughs> there was a there's a base built into the technologies that we work on. So doesn't mean that all of them will be supported everywhere. And a lot of these just get built into the platforms we're doing so that they are a feature in our overall solution, it's, not a specific point thing that we're trying to sell. You mentioned the application centricity of a lot of these solutions too, that is driven by the top down. Um, I've been getting into zero trust network access lately, talked to four different vendors and then the last week, all with ZTNA solutions that are quite uh, robust, but they all do it different how they deliver it. It's very interesting. Some of them don't care about the network at all. Where they are doing their enforcement is way above the network layer, way up inside the application or very close to the application. Others are not. But it's fascinating that the infrastructure is really – it wants to be invisible from an application and developer perspective. They want to consume it. They don't want to configure it or have to worry about it at all. Well, so we should actually take that point and then flip to you doing things at uh, at Red Hat. So we kind of get you got a role as a sort of a project manager advisor and uh, and marketing outward to customers and figuring out what everybody's uh, doing. So when you talk to a customer and then you take that feedback back into your the organization at Red Hat, does that actually drive a development decision like we're going this direction because Stu had this conversation so red hat is as i mentioned very collaborative in in, in its discussion so uh, what's interesting is if you want to know what we're working on you know you can watch we do a public broadcast and we put the replay up on youtube with here's what we're working on for the next six to 12 months hmm. so a lot of that discussion is how do we prioritize which things we're working on which projects do we accelerate? Um, are there is there feedback that we get that we need to, you know, work on making something, you know, better or changing certain parameters? So some of what I do is help give feedback so that we say, okay, hey, here's the list of a thousand things that we need to work on. This is the one that we need to bump up a little bit more. These are the, the common things that we're hearing from customers. And, you know, we, you know, we're, we're going deeper in certain verticals because of course, you know, the telecommunications companies have often different requirements from the financial services uh, companies. And we need to balance, you know, where, where we, where we put our efforts, our friends at IBM, uh, just to tell you, you know, help us with, you know, giving us greater insight uh, and, you know, that, that's one of the you know questions we get all the time is the relationship between Red Hat and IBM. <laughs> and one of the things like any acquisition is like, well, when we go to IBM and we say we have priorities, they can help with an investment, whether that be for an acquisition, like we made a security acquisition of Stackrocks not too long ago. And some of the prioritization was, if you go look at our hiring, 
we are doing a ton of hiring. I can say, you know, more hiring than we would have done if we didn't have some extra funds from the parent corporation of IBM uh, to, to be able to focus on this. So I, I guess to your question though, Ethan, you know, yes, you know, I meet with the product managers. I, I'm participating in some of the engineering stuff. You know, we're a 17,000 person company. So it's not like, oh, hey, Stu's driving the product direction. I'm part of it. <laughs> I give feedback. Um, you know, my peer, Brian Gracely, uh, who some of your audience probably knows from the Cloudcast yeah. and everything, you know, Brian is, you know, you know, senior director of strategy. So look, we all work together. We all collaborate. We all give our feedback. And one of the things, if, if you're not familiar with the Red Hat culture, like when I joined, there's that tendency to be like, hey, maybe I should be quiet for the first 90 days and kind of listen because they probably heard many of those things. And when you go through like the new hire training, it is, if I have an idea, even if I think it's kind of stupid or they're going to shoot me down, it's my job to speak up. So mm coming in with my background also the 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 general manager of our division the guy that runs all of cloud he's like Stu, i want you challenging everything we do i want you helping us move faster you know i want you to to help pull us in that direction and i've also been super excited since i've joined even i've seen a number of people i really respect that have also joined red hat so you know we are hiring check it out contact me if you <laughs> you know want there because boy it's been uh, interesting times the last year and opportunities for change uh, Stu, you mentioned red hat does a lot in the open um this is what our product direction is going to be this is what we're working on for the next six months and our priorities yeah. But Red Hat is not entirely an open source company, so it does seem to be you know a mix of this open source software. Um, it, 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 there's, explain there's to me culture, what you, but... we mean by that, Ethan, because one hundred percent of what we sell is open source. But you sell something. We do. So... We have. I will quote Jim Whitehurst, the former CEO of Red Hat, now yeah. the president of IBM. Red Hat. We do not create IP. We do not create intellectual property. Everything that we create goes upstream. So if, let me explain OpenShift, I guess is a good time for me to explain what OpenShift is and what it isn't. Mm. So Let's OpenShift is, it is our Kubernetes-based platform. So if you look at it, there are two things that we require that, that are part of our stack, that you must use this. We have the operating system, which of course is one of our Linuxes, which of course is open source and our Kubernetes. And it is a Kubernetes distribution. It is fully open source. Everything we do is completely upstream. And we put together with that lots of other projects. So you want your service mesh like Istio, you want GitOps, which is Argo CD. You know, there we talked about those hundreds of projects. Well, dozens of those are packaged as part of what we had so that when you get the, I want to install OpenShift, we actually install, you know, the OS and the Kubernetes go together. Many of the other projects start with it by default. And then there's certain ones that you're like, oh yeah, I do want those. Let's pull those pieces of it. 100% open source. Right, right. Uh, that's one of the things I have appreciated over the years um, is, is the, the level of open source and transparency when it came to consuming Red Hat products. Uh, that's been awesome to see. Uh, I think what Ethan might have been alluding to was more the sort of the conversations that are happening outside of that transparent line that you've drawn, because you're doing some of it in, you said you record the video, you republish it, everybody can see that roadmap, but you can't spill all your secrets, right? You got to keep something that, 
because sometimes you're still in the planning phases and you're not ready to present that to the public. So how do you draw that line between discussions that happen in private and public? The point you have before I respond. (laughs) Just the other context here is, okay, maybe everything ends up open source, but I just did a, a quick search here on Red Hat numbers guys are doing billions of dollars of business per year so you're not just giving everything away Stu. so we're trying to understand where these lines are drawn here ethan maybe maybe for context we need to go back for for you and i are similar age open source does not equal free software which is what Mm. it was originally called back in the 90s absolutely so you know why do people pay for the subscription for red hat um you know online you know one of the pieces is you know, yes, there is support. So part of why you pay Red Hat is for support. Now, of course, the hope is most of the time you should not need the support. But if, if I look at, you know, why have, you know, tens of thousands of companies paid for Red Hat Enterprise Linux for, you know, we, we've been shipping for over two decades, you know, the operating system is mostly commoditized and I shouldn't need to worry about. Well, we make it ready for the enterprise. So what is the difference between like, like, let's, you know, I'll give you a concrete example. And from a Kubernetes standpoint, as I said, our Linux and Kubernetes, what we put together uh, last year, there was an exploit that was found in Kubernetes and everybody's scrambling and say, oh my God, there's an exploit. This is horrible. And this and that. Well, we looked at it because of what we do at the operating system level, our Kubernetes was not exposed to that exploit. So our customers were never there. If you were using Take your favorite flavor of, you know, regular Linux, not from Red Hat. Well, the way that they enforce security settings left them open to that Kubernetes exploit. So, you know, Google had to go and say, hey, there was an exploit. Here's the patch that we quickly fit. You know, we will now have a more secure environment. So when you take, you know, take something that is open source, it doesn't mean that everything is completely identical because it is... How do I do the settings? How do I configure it? How do I put this all together? Our job is we take these solutions and we make them ready for the enterprise so that you can, you know, it's speed, scale, and security are kind of the three pillars uh, that we look at how we build things. We did that for over two decades with Linux. That's what we do today for our cloud platform, which is OpenShift, leveraging Kubernetes. And, you know, that that's what we do with our technologies. So does that... Does that make sense, Ethan? I'm happy to, you know, if you're still uncertain, <laughs> you know, let, let, let's dig a little deeper because fundamentally, right, this is like, you know, hey, why are there not more billion dollar open source companies? Because it's really hard. We're not open mm. core. We're yeah. not, you know, kind of forked, things like that. We are, you know, open, 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 open. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you like Stack Rocks, we made the acquisition. We, and when we announced it, it's like, we will completely open source that. It doesn't happen overnight. You know, come to KubeCon. We'll give you the latest update as to what we're doing there. But yeah, it is, as I said, unique. There are plenty of other open source companies. Um, and that is completely, uh, I, I will tell you, if you could, you know, join uh, some of the internal forums at Red Hat, you know, there are people that are like, you know, this is my religion is to like, you know, <laughs> I will go to the grave and fight you over how open we are. I've been a supporter of open source. I've worked on those technologies for, you know, myself over two decades, but, you know, I, I, I understand the balance between, you know, 
I have to build something, customers need it, I need to move fast. Well, we can move code fast and get it upstream as opposed to it's much faster than the old world of standards where I had to go to a standard body and bake it in and things like that. I mean, Ethan, I went to T11 standards for a bunch of years. Uh, I got my 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 last vendor I worked for out of having to go to IEEE. So um, yeah, it's, you know, I, I, I've lived in all those worlds too. Well, let's condense everything you just said there, Stu, into an example. If I want to consume OpenShift, I want to, I want to run OpenShift. Yep. Can I do that without spending money? Yeah. So if you go to try.openshift.com, we have a sandbox that you can do this. So it is... No, no, no. I'm, come on. Not trying no. it and doing okay. a demo. Can so I actually run it in production without there, sending there, Red Hat a there check? Is, uh, there is a distribution called OKD which is the open source distribution of it. Because here's the difference. Look, Red Hat Enterprise Linux or OpenShift, can you get that software? Yes. Can you run it? Yes. Are you running it unsupported? Well, that's that's like saying, you know, hey, can I get a game and not pay, you know, for, for the usage of it? It's like, well... That, that, that's how, the way it works. It's the subscription model that we have, Ethan, is if you're going to use the packaging that we have, that, that's there. But there is distribution that is free and untethered. Um, that actually helps because what, what, what you're telling me here is, yes, I have access to the code because it's it's open source. Yes. But I have to build the rest of the ecosystem that would Red Hat would normally supply for me myself. I'd have to build all of that around it. Which most companies don't do not want to be in the business of doing that. Uh, talk about your undifferentiated heavy lifting. So, mm-hmm. you know, what I am engaging Red Hat to do is to deliver me not only you know the code, but the entire ecosystem to run that in my environment, including support and updates and you know and all of that. Yeah, and it's just to to to, to put a fine point on that. Look, there there are certain companies that do you know, extensive end of the year, let's look back and make sure that you have paid for every single, you know, usage of it. And, you know, oh, wait, we need to double this and triple this and, you know, make sure we've done this. That's not our model. If you look at how we charge and when we charge, we try to be pretty flexible. So, you know, I'll give you an example is like, you know, oh, hey, we're going from, we had a rather big change from OpenShift 3 to OpenShift 4. While you're doing that migration, we're not going to double charge you. And so for a window of opportunity, you'll be using twice the amount of software and twice the amount of licenses that you would have uh, had there. We're not going to double charge you for that as long as, you know, we've, we've seen that plan and we do that. So that's, it's an interesting model uh, when, when you look at the financial side of things. But yes, we are a multi-billion dollar open source company. Uh, we'd love to see more of them. Uh, we try to put out as much as we can to help people understand that model. So I, I think one of the things that I want to get deeper into, and OpenShift is probably a good uh, place to keep going with that, is you know lots of people think about maybe running just vanilla Kubernetes and they'll just manage it themselves. What is the value or the the problems and challenges that OpenShift is solving over running one of those vanilla distributions or say one of the cloud distributions like AKS or EKS? Yep. Awesome. Ned, you studied for the CKA. I know you know the answer to this question. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, Stu, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, yeah. It, it's uh it, it's it's a it's a phenomenal question and something that, you know, I the team that I actually have, we we spend a lot of time on that. So first of all, you know, 
let me say, we have great partnerships with all the cloud providers. Uh, we have native services in both Amazon and Azure. And when I say native, they're in the console. You actually see it, it looks, acts, feels, buy it from the cloud provider. With, with Google, we have something that we can self-manage, that we manage for customers. So there, there, there are degrees of what is different about them. Because first of all, as I said, Kubernetes is at its core, it's a very thin layer. You know, I interviewed Joe Betos, one of the people that created Kubernetes, uh, started Heptio, he's now over at VMware. It's just like, and the, the quote from Joe is roughly, you know, this is a very thin layer, but it doesn't do a ton by itself. It is a platform that you build on top of it. Mm. So if I look at the XKSs out there, for the most part, it is Kubernetes. You know, you were getting a project with a couple of services around there. So number one is that what I mentioned before, we make Kubernetes for the enterprise. This is not, hey, I've got a developer and I want to do a little bit of Kubernetes. It's like, okay, this is a platform you can run your businesses on. And when, when you, well, you see, you know, Delta making public, this is what we do for our data centers and our public cloud. This is what we run our business on. The role of Kubernetes is to help me build new apps and move faster and modernize what I have. So Kubernetes, just for, for your audience that might remember PaaS, one of the things we hear all the time is like, ah, oh, I don't want to use Kubernetes. It, it, it'll be a least common denominator. I can't use all the functions of the cloud. And I'm like, oh, sorry, you're thinking of before container days uh, existed. Um, because if I run our solution in Amazon, and you want to leverage the native Amazon services? Great. You know what's underneath? Uh, you know what we're running? Uh, it's it's EC2. <laughs> it's like great. You know this is, you know this is not something sitting on top of or even next to in a separate data center or even a bare metal solution. We are sitting on the native cloud environment. So the differentiation, one of those things, as I said, we make it for the enterprise. So I mentioned like those exploits. We've got thousands of engineers working to make sure that this is reliable, secure, scalable for those environments. And we take lots of those projects. If you take XKS versus OpenShift, as I said, they have a couple of things that they add with it. We have dozens of projects that we integrate into our solutions. So could you buy XKS, go through the catalog, figure out, pick, curate, integrate, and then manage that platform? Sure. Do you want to build a cloud platform management team or do you want to spend your time building those applications? That's where we see the biggest differentiation. And as a matter of fact, as I said, we have lots of customers that are going now to our managed service. Your SRE team can work on building things for your business, not managing that infrastructure layer. We've got SREs that will manage that for you. And that's a phenomenally interesting trend. We see huge growth on that. Amazon, Microsoft are big partners to help us go much deeper and broader in that space. Right. So again, we're, we're moving up the stack here as an infrastructure person. I, I'm trying to get rid of that undifferentiated heavy lifting. Somebody else can take care of that. Where do I provide more value? I provide more value higher up the stack. So something like OpenShift could help provide that additional value. Now, one of the complaints that I hear about Kubernetes really often is kind of what you alluded to, the fact that it is a very thin layer. So it doesn't do a lot of the things that I would expect my uh, platform to do. You know, when I was in the world of VMware, I expected to have persistent storage and monitoring and things like uh, data protection and management. And Kubernetes is like, 
No, you got to plug that in somewhere else, son. I I, I don't have any of that. So <laughs> are those things that OpenShift helps with or God, what's what's the solution for all of that? Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. And some of those things are built into the platform. And some of those, if you look, you know, probably our most popular add on to the OpenShift platform, something we call today, it's OpenShift container storage. So it's the so storage software that we open offer to be able to do, yeah, you want to do stateful applications with containers, absolutely solve that problem, you know, can can do it a lot. Um, again, we're not a hardware provider, we're all software. So at the end of the day, if that's in the cloud, you're leveraging cloud services. If that's in the data center, we've got a lovely ecosystem of providers and we built out an ecosystem. There's lots of different ways that you can add, you know, partner software uh, and hardware onto that. So um, if you're familiar, there's the OCIs, the OpenShift container interface, um, which makes sure that like from a storage standpoint, I can integrate with that. And, you know, you would, you'd look at that list and see, you know, we've got tens of thousands of certified containers and, you know, pick your, you know, if, if you're in your own data center and you have your storage provider of choice, more likely than not, it's going to be supported in that environment. So we can plug that in. And a lot of our customers, if you look at one of the big values that we have over XKS is our customers, they still have their data center and they're doing the cloud or multiple clouds. Mm -hmm. um, and while you see the public cloud providers starting to go into the data center, they're giving you like, here's my stack. And by the way, we'll often be able to live on that stack too, because you know it's on our roadmap. You, you wanna do uh, an Amazon outpost, you wanna do an Azure stack, we've got roadmap and discussing publicly how we can put OpenShift on those. But if I've got my you know, HP stack or my Dell stack or my you know, whatever else I've built in my data center stack, you know, we can live with those. And we've got lots of experience doing that as opposed to the cloud providers know how to run their data centers. That, that's a big point of differentiation when it comes to the cloud providers versus what you have on-prem. The cloud providers are super standardized. Their environment is very homogenous. They you know, buy 10,000 of the same server. Whereas your on-prem environment, you've got you know six servers from Dell, another 20 from HP. Oh, there was a sale or, or someone from IBM got in or Lenovo got in at some point and sold you a bunch of Lenovo servers. You got those two and you got five different storage arrays. like. That's a confusing mess. Does yeah, the, the, the only counterpoint I would make for you is if you were to say, okay, I want to build a server. If I go to Dell.com and build a server, or if I go to the AWS console and build a server in the cloud, Amazon's got more choices than <laughs> Dell does. Because while, yes, they build to the scale of tens of thousands, Amazon does, I wrote a blog post years ago, they're hyper-optimized. So they don't just take white box stuff and throw it at massive scale. They actually build and they're like, okay, here's you know my T1 mini, here's my, you know, this piece of it. So it is at massive scale, but it, you know, they they are uh, you know, optimizing things there and you want to be able to take advantage uh, of all the new pieces. So uh, it, it, it's an interesting uh, place. Um, I, I still wish that I could, you know, get a tour uh, of one of those Amazon <laughs> data centers. I've been through like Equinix's data center. Mm -hmm. I've been through the SuperNAP in Vegas. Um, and those of us that grew up, you know, you know, giving a hug a, a, to a server and looking at all the blinky lights, <laughs> um, you know, it, it is fascinating when I've gotten to look inside what some of the, uh, you know, the big providers are doing. Azure does a pretty good tour from what I hear. I haven't been able to do it yet, but 
once, once COVID is over, <laughs> maybe I'll get to do that. Nobody gets in an AWS data center. Nobody but nobody. <laughs> Unless you got the golden ticket or something. <laughs> so just on that note, expanding on OpenShift just a, a little bit more, the other big thing that we kind of focus on was enabling the business, empowering the business, letting them do things, helping devel developers accelerate. And one of those things is less code or, or no code. Is that something that's also being enabled? Because if I just, if the business wants to do something, sometimes they just want to be able to uh, not even write code, but, you know, point and click and drag. Is there anything like that in, in the ecosystem allowing that sort of low code, no code approach? You know, it, it's interesting. I spent a little bit of time, uh, you know, with some of the no-code no vendors, uh, you know, back when I was uh, hosting the Cube and doing some of those things. From an OpenShift standpoint, and Kubernetes in general is is pretty flexible as to what it can support, but it is it is applications that either you know I can be building you know my 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 microservices architecture, I can be pulling my uh, you know more legacy uh, three tier architectures and you know replatforming them, rehosting them, or I can even you know more modern things like uh, analytics and AI and ML. I, I, I just haven't gotten to the point to understand uh, the, the low code, no code as to where how that would fit. I'm sure somebody in the developer team at Red Hat would have a better answer from you. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's we have a lot of flexibility. I just I just don't know where, where that piece of uh, the, the ecosystem fits in. Right. There, there is a marketplace uh, of some sort with OpenShift, though, where you can deploy a template or a pre-existing image so you can at least you can get it to that point and then beyond that it would take a developer to customize it a little bit right yeah absolutely so we've rolled out last year actually the red hat marketplace launched uh so you know one of the main things in there is something we call operators so it actually came from the core os team uh they had a way to put together not just uh, kind of the the packaging and the deployment but the the day two operations to go with the theme of your uh, show itself, but <laughs> the, the the whole life cycle of how do I update it, how do I manage that? That's what operators does. That whole framework was actually given to the CNCF. So operators are open. So if you go to operatorhub.io, you can see you know all of the operators that are out there, and that will live in any Kubernetes environment. The Red Hat Marketplace is where okay, hey. If I want to get that in the OpenShift environment, and it's in the 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 Red Hat console for for OpenShift, so that I can you know grab that and deploy things and manage them really easily. Can you do anything about the overabundance of YAML? <laughs> <laughs> um, that is something uh, outside of my purview, Ned. Uh, you know, we we all have our our, our challenges uh, uh, <laughs> that we that we that we need to fight with. Uh, I, I do try to make sure that we don't put out anything that says single pane of glass um, because I <laughs> remind you. them, uh, you know, what uh, you know how you would spell that, or it's a single glass of pain, uh, as uh, you know so, sometimes we say. Exactly. Well, Stu, this has been an absolutely fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today. If people want to know more about you or more about Red Hat Solutions, where should they go? Where should they look? 
Yeah, easiest place to find me is still on the Twitter. So I, I'm just Stu, S-T-U on Twitter. If you go to openshift.com, uh, that's the main website for our stuff. Uh, if you want to come, uh, the Red Hat Summit, we've broken into a couple of pieces. Main keynotes are in April. Uh, the deep dives are in June. And uh, things like the hands-on type of pieces, we're trying to figure out if we can do that towards the end of the year, potentially in person in many locations, much smaller mm. locations. Pandemic, of course, uh, will, will dictate that kind of things. Uh, Red Hat, uh, of course, being very cautious on the, uh, you know, how we do those things. So yeah, redhat.com slash summit uh, is the easiest place to, uh, to find that. Yeah, love feedback, conversation. I'm always open or hey, you know, I, I, I lots of people in my network, uh, you know, we talk, you know, career advice too, as to, you know, what things make sense and, you know, which of the, hey, uh, do I need to get out of this position in the next two years because uh, it's been completely commoditized and I can find other value that I could add. Awesome. Well, thank you again for appearing and we will include links to all that good stuff in the show notes. Ned, Ethan, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for showing up, Stu. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And hey, listener, virtual high fives to you for tuning in. If you have suggestions for future shows, we'd love to hear them. You can hit us up on Twitter at Day2CloudShow, or you can fill out the form on my fancy website. Did you know that Packet Pushers has a weekly newsletter called Human Infrastructure Magazine? That's you. You're the human. You do the thing. You make it all happen. And it is loaded with the best stuff we have found on the internet, plus our own feature articles and commentary. It's free, and it does not suck. You can get the next issue via packetpushers.net slash newsletter. Until next time, just remember, cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans.